see and can be found on page 1183 of the Church Bibles. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. Brothers, then, just as you received Christ, Lord Jesus, and continued to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. See to it no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole hand, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the change of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. In reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. This is the word of the Lord. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. This can be found on page 1042. One. Zero four two. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, 
Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me two loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, oh, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thanks. You can hear me. Don't mind my phone. I've got my notes on here today. It, depending on what you believe, it's either because I didn't have time to print it or I'm looking out for the environment. <laughs> the, the, the truth is probably a mixture of both. Yeah. Prayer. When we say the word prayer, to me at least, it conjures up images of hands together, bow your head. Perhaps what parents teach their children to do by the side of the bed before they go to sleep each night. The formal definition of prayer is it's a solemn request for help or expression of thanksgiving addressed to God or another deity. And the word prayer is often associated with asking for what we need. Some funny prayers I found online, you might have heard these before. The one, the New Year's Eve prayer, and it says, God, next year, please give me a thin body and a fat bank account, and don't mix it up like you did last year. <laughs> or one of my personal favorites, the prayer for the prayer of thanks and the prayer for help. So, God, I've had such a good day today. I haven't been angry. I haven't been selfish. I haven't been greedy. I haven't got cross. But I'm going to get out of bed in a minute, and I might need a lot more help after that. <laughs> or there was the prayer from the little boy who said, I prayed for a bike, but I know God doesn't work like that, so I stole a bike instead and asked God to forgive me. <laughs> But if we're serious for a moment, who, does anyone find prayer easy? Will anyone be bold enough to say they think prayer is easy? If you do, do you, do you want to come up and do the sermon instead? Because all I've got is 20 minutes of jokes about prayer. That's all I've got. Because <laughs> I don't find prayer easy. I never have. Um, and I've always found prayer, it comes in peaks and troughs good patches, not so good patches, and uh, I can't, can't confess to being in a great patch at the moment. It does go up and down, and it is a bit of a challenge. Uh, I can sympathize with the boy and his stolen bike, because often it seems easier to try and sort out things by ourselves. Yeah. But the problem is, some of our prayer requests, we can't sort out on our own. We, we do need God. They're beyond us. And that can be a very painful experience when we pray for something 
that we can't resolve on our own and it doesn't work out the way we would have liked, the answer we get isn't the answer we wanted. Or sometimes it feels like there's no answer at all. And that stands in a bit of a contradiction to what we read today from Luke. Because at face value, for me at least, it sounds like Jesus is saying, pray away. Pray away and you'll get what you want. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you'll find. Ask, it will be given to you. God's a good father. He's going to give you good gifts. If you ask for fish, he's not going to give you a scorpion. It sounds like it's an open open door, isn't it? But it doesn't always work like that. And that can be a real challenge. And the focus on how to pray, it's nothing new. And we see even in this reading from 2,000 years ago, the disciples are asking Jesus, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And sometimes in the midst of unanswered prayer or uncertain times, we examine how we pray. Say, if I'd prayed differently, would I have got a different answer? Would I have got what I wanted if I'd just done something slightly different? Prayed in a different way, said some different words. At least I've been tempted to think like that before. I don't know if that's the case for others. But this concept of how, how do we pray, how is the right way to pray, it's nothing new. And the disciples were asking that of Jesus. And there's three standout points for me in Jesus' response to that question, teach us how to pray. The first one is who we're praying to. Jesus says, it's God, our Father. Our Father, that's who we're praying to. The King of Heaven, but also God, our Father. And secondly, we're to pray for our, spirit, uh, our physical needs, our daily bread. And thirdly, we're to pray for our spiritual needs, forgiveness of sins and deliverance from temptation. And Jesus then goes on to tell two mini parables to further explain his answer. The first one is the friend at midnight. Now, luckily, I've never had any friends who think it's okay to come over at midnight and bang my door down asking to borrow some bread or anything else but if I did I think I'd be with Jesus on this one I'd give them whatever they wanted to go away and let me go back to sleep (laughs) sleep's always been a bit of a uh, precious commodity to me and even more so in the last two and a half years (laughs) but that parable as a whole is quite hard to understand or at least I think it is because it offers, seems to offer the image of a sort of begrudging God giving, giving us what we want, but because our prayers are more of a bother to him than, than answering would be. It conjured up the image in my mind. Of, has anyone seen the film Bruce Almighty? I love it. Now, Jim Carrey is a bit of a Marmite actor, isn't he? I, I like Jim Carrey, but I know... He splits the crowd a little bit. But if you've seen Bruce Almighty, the the concept of the film is this chap, Bruce, is a bit angry at God. So God gives him all of his powers so he can see what being God is like for, for the day. And there's one point in the film where Bruce has been bombarded with millions and millions of prayer requests. 
and it's overwhelming him. So he just decides the easiest thing to do is just reply yes to all, with some rather hilarious and catastrophic consequences. Now the interpretation of this parable seems to turn on one word in verse 8. And Diane read it to us as shameless audacity. But depending on which version of the Bible you read, it can be shameless audacity or persistence or boldness or um, what else is there? A lack of shame from the asker. Or sometimes it's interpreted as a desire from the giver to not be shamed in the community for appearing selfish. And the, the Greek word that's translated there is called anaakia. And it only appears once in the Bible. So that's probably why it's so hard to translate and contextualize, because there's no comparative verses to compare it against. It's just compared, it just appears once. And depending on which translation or interpretation you take, dramatically influences how that mini parable is interpreted. Is it our persistence that causes God to answer? Or is it God's own character? of goodness and not wanting to be put to shame that causes him to answer. I don't know the answer. (laughs) I don't have a preferred translation. I can just give you what I found. But if we set that aside for a minute, I will come back to it in the summing up. But if we move on to the second mini parable, which focuses on the parent-child relationship. Now, I think we can understand this much more readily. Many of us will be parents Even those of us who aren't parents probably have a notion of what it is like to have a child. And we can understand that. We wouldn't expect a good parent to give their child a snake or a scorpion with the outstretched hand just asking for a kiss or a hug. But as we know as parents, sometimes children have a habit for asking for things that aren't good for them whether that's ice cream for breakfast or to stick this lovely-looking screwdriver into a plug socket. (laughs) Sometimes they even ask for the impossible. And when I was preparing, I forgot there was no children's work today, so sorry to Abby, little story about you coming up. Forgot you were going to be here. Too late to change it now. But one of my work colleagues said to me the other day, I bet you're going to be the type of dad that always embarrasses their children and makes them cringe. So wouldn't want to let anyone down, so I'll start start from a young age. But one of the examples I thought of when it comes to children asking for the impossible is the other week we were driving in the car and uh, driving along an ambulance came by with a siren. It's very exciting. Ambulance, sirens, woo, woo, woo. Oh, wasn't that exciting, Roman? A fire engine. No, it's an ambulance as I remember it. But it could be a fire engine if you want. Or a police car. (laughs) And then that was a very exciting moment. We had a good time. Look at the ambulance, lovely. And then 30 seconds later, he says, I want more ambulances. (laughs) (laughs) And we, we had to try and break it to our little darling that we don't have ambulances on tap. We're not we're not in the control room. We don't dispatch them to our location. (laughs) 
and another one from my own parenting experience. When Abby was very young, she, a few months old, she used to really not like having a nappy change with them. It's probably a fairly common thing for small newborn children. And we would change it, and she would scream and scream and cry and cry. But of course, nothing she did or said would change the outcome. It had to be done, even if she didn't want it to be. And the worst part of it was there was nothing I could do to explain to her why she couldn't have her own way or why I couldn't stop the thing that she wasn't enjoying. And to me, that was a bit of an insight into our relationship with God, that perhaps sometimes, much like an adult, can't communicate to a newborn child exactly their intentions. Perhaps God operates on such a higher level to us that it's impossible for us to understand God's intention sometimes. And when we aren't getting our own way and it feels like things aren't as they should be and we're crying out and screaming to say, make it stop, change it. It may just be the case that in that moment, it's almost literally impossible for God to explain to us what's going on. Because an adult mind is that much higher than the mind of a newborn baby, but how much higher is the mind of God than the mind of man? So what I came to as I was looking at these parables and these verses is this. I I focused quite a bit on unanswered prayer today. And the reason for that is just because my initial reading of these verses, I always find it in contrast to reality. It appears to to say that you will get what you pray for, and we know that doesn't happen. So that's why I've focused a little bit on the concept of unanswered prayer. But I think there's two things then that stand out to me. And the two are who we're praying to and what we are guaranteed. Because there's a little bit at the end of verse 13. It says, how much more will God give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We might not be guaranteed everything that we ask for. But I do believe that God gives us a guarantee. He will answer our prayers for more of the Holy Spirit. That is one thing we can always rely on. And I think Jesus' answer to that question, how should we pray, it offers a little bit of insight into how to pray with some words. But Jesus doesn't go into great detail about words or techniques. His answer, I think, is focused on who we're praying to. His first word of his answer is Father. And then through his parables, we see that when we pray, we're praying to a friend who has the means to meet our request. We're praying to a father who has the desire to meet our request. And although prayer might be a confusing experience, and we'll never get all the answers, and we'll never know why some prayers are answered and why some aren't, we can have faith that we're praying to a good God who loves us, who can meet our needs, and eagerly desires to do so when the circumstances are right. And he will always give us that gift of the Holy Spirit. 
just before I end, I want us to give one final reflection on both the topic of unanswered prayer and the identity of the one we pray to. The more and more I think about things as I go through life, I realize, I think almost every experience we ever have, Jesus either experienced directly or he experienced a very close parallel of it. And we can hold on to that sometimes in times of unanswered prayer. Because when our prayers aren't answered, we know we're praying to the God who himself sat there in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, Lord, take this cup away from me. And ultimately, the cup wasn't taken away. So in the pain sometimes of our unanswered prayer, we have shared experience of Jesus who also knows what it is to have prayers that aren't answered and to walk through painful circumstances that he would rather were taken away. And in that moment, that just reinforces that concept of it's all about who we're praying to. We're praying to the God who's our friend. We're praying to the God who is our father. And we're praying to the God who came to earth to save us and who deeply sympathizes with the experience of prayer and the notion of unanswered prayer. So I just want to encourage you today and this, this week to go out as I'm going to try and get us more into prayer again and to pray for more of the Holy Spirit because we know that prayer is going to be answered and we know good things, amazing things are going to happen when we get more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our church, in our community. And as we pray, to put our requests to God, but to focus as much on the one we're praying to as the prayers we're praying. To try and get to know more deeply that one we're praying to. Because I think that's what Jesus is ultimately teaching. Saying it doesn't, doesn't matter so much how you pray, it's who you're praying to. Get to know the God you're praying to. Pray for more of the Holy Spirit. And I believe Maybe not everything we want will happen, but good things will happen. So that's what I'm going to take away. I've been teaching to myself as much as to anyone else. I don't find prayer easy. I'm not a great prayer. I'm going to go and give it a go. And I please encourage you to give it a go as well.